I wrestled today uh, as what I should be preaching on and I struggled and I have to say this as a preacher uh, we have perhaps hundreds of sermons we could preach and uh, at the moment there are texts of scripture jumping out at me it's usually you're struggling to find a verse but they're all jumping out and they all seem to be saying the same thing preach me preach me uh, in college, we didn't have that problem. It was never a text that ever came near us. And it usually, don't preach me again in college. But these texts are jumping out and I couldn't settle. And I wrestled and I felt the Lord burdening me with a little verse of scripture. And I kept setting it aside and saying, well, I'll look at something else. And then I had the funeral to go to. I rushed home and I got myself alone with the Lord. I sought the Lord's face. I waited in quietness and stillness. And I said, Lord, what is thy mind for tonight? What should I preach on? And then the Lord gave me the text. And I'm glad that I have a message from God for you tonight. And I listened to our sister's testimony. And the verse of scripture ties in very appropriately with what our sister was saying. Mm. It's Philippians chapter 1. And it's the verse 21. Paul writing to believers. But nevertheless, uh, this is applicable both to saint and sinner alike this evening. Just a little phrase from God's word. And it simply says, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. A little phrase, but it was the very verse that the Lord uh, challenged me to full-time service through. For to me... To live is Christ. And then to die is gain. It's a tremendous verse. Did you ever think about it? To die is gain. We always talk about death as a loss. You've lost your loved one. You've lost your best friend. You've lost a family member. You've lost your wife. You've lost your husband. You've lost your son or your daughter. You've lost a companion but for the Christian the Bible says here to die is gain it's a remarkable verse you'll not find it in any other religion in the world but you'll find it in biblical Christianity the experience of Christ in you the hope of glory so with our text before us let's just still our hearts for a few moments and we'll seek the Lord's face in prayer and ask for help once again in the ministry of the word. Father we do thank thee for thy presence throughout today. We thank thee O God for those who have <coughs> sought to work for thee around the doors. We thank thee Lord for invitations that have been given out to the meetings. We thank thee Lord for advertisements. We bless thee for those who verbally have been seeking to bring precious souls to the house and some successfully and some not. We thank thee for those who have engaged in the ministry of prayer, Lord, for the meetings. We bless thee that this area in many senses, Lord, has been privileged and blessed because there's been an intensified seeking of thy face in prayer for this district. Names, Lord, have been mentioned before thee. Thou knowest those that are out of Christ without a saviour. And Lord, we pray that even Mm. those that have been prayed for 
and prayer has been intensified about that they might come under conviction for sin. Repenting of that sin, they might believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and receive him mm. as their saviour. We thank thee, Lord, for the testimony tonight. We thank mm. thee for thy servant, our sister, Christina. Amen. And we bless thee, Lord, that from a child she has known the holy scriptures which were able to make her wise unto salvation. We thank thee, Lord, for the privilege that she had of being brought up in a home. And that taught her the word of God and that Lord from a very young age that she was able to understand the gospel. We thank the Lord for saving her, for keeping her. And then we bless the Lord for the call of God even into the Bible college. And as she would spend those two years there, and we pray, O oh God, that afterwards thou wouldst guide and direct thy servant. And Lord, send thine angel before her that the Lord would bring her into the place that he has prepared for his servant. We pray now for the preaching of thy word and I look to thee afresh. I stand publicly as a candidate for the infilling of thy spirit. Grant to me the anointing to preach the gospel, to exalt Christ. Give to me now, I beseech thee, that endowment of power from on high. Thou hast told us in thy word, ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me. Lord, I ask thee now, for the infilling of thy spirit. I pray for wisdom and power. And Lord, in answer now to prayer, be pleased to save the lost, restore the backslidden, revive the church, and Father, above all things, glorify thy dear Son. We ask these things in Jesus' precious and worthy name. Amen. Amen. You know, death for the child of God is not a tragedy. It is a victory. In fact, the Apostle Paul in this very portion that we were reading from, he said in verse 23 that for the believer that it is better for them because they would be with Christ, which is very much, very far better. You say to me, that's bad English and you're right, it is. But when you think of the Greek language and the words that are used in the Greek, you would understand that that is a literal translation of the Greek. It simply means very much, very far better. In other words, the use of those comparatives are trying to explain in a language that we should be able to comprehend how blessed or happy it is for the child of God to be with the Lord. It is spoken of as being with Christ very much, very far better, better than what we have here is the life that is beyond this life. In fact, the Bible tells me, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. The remarkable thing is this, it does not say blessed are the dead because all those that die are not blessed. It says blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. That's a different company we're speaking about. There are individuals who die and some clergymen will tell them that they're happy now and all is well. But they have died without Christ. I was at a funeral service one time and the man who was being buried was an alcoholic. Now we cannot say for sure a man's last end and what is his last end. But one thing when I was sitting in that service was it was buried as if he was a Christian. 
as if he had lived a good life, as if he had lived a life pleasing to God, and now the Lord had welcomed him into heaven. Even those that were there and family members said that that could not be true. He lived his life as an alcoholic with little or no time for God. Now, we don't know how a man died. We don't know his last end. We can't say for sure that a person dying, even though they've lived a godless, sinful life, they didn't call at the end upon the name of the Lord and they were saved. We will have a surprise in heaven, no doubt, because there will be people there that we never thought would be there. And another wonder in heaven will be this, that there were people who we thought were there and they'll not be there. The greatest wonder of all, as John Newton said, Yes. is that I, a sinner saved by grace, will be there. But to die is gain. The Bible tells me, does it not? Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And there are few in this world can face their latter end with assurance, with courage. And for the child of God, death holds no fear. And when we approach the time of our death, and we don't know when it is, you don't have to be old to die. You don't have to be sick to die, but you have to be ready. You have to be prepared. D.L. Moody, a great evangelist, a lover of souls, a faithful servant of the Lord. Whenever he came to his latter end and he was about to die and some friends gathered around him, his life was victorious, but his death was equally triumphant. In fact, a few hours before Dwight L. Moody passed into the glory, he was awoken from sleep. And there in that room he said these words, Earth recedes. Heaven is open before me. He said, if this is death, it is glorious. There is no valley here. God is calling me and I must go. This is my triumph. This is my coronation. It is glorious. Unquote. An amazing thing to be at the deathbed of someone who dies with their faith and their trust in the Lord. An aged Scotsman once said, whenever he was surrounded by his friends, he was asked the question, well, tell us now what you think of death. You don't get that kind of thing today. But his friends gathered round a believer's deathbed and said, tell us now. What do you think of death? And here's what he said, I quote, It matters little to me whether I live or whether I die this night, because if I live, then Christ will be with me. But if I die, I shall be with Christ, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is game. But let's be honest, most people fear death most people do not like to think about death most people do not like to come to meetings and have themselves challenged or convicted about the subject of death and yet friends listen to me one day you are going to die one day i am going to die and most people are afraid of the subject of death they're afraid of what death might hold for them. Even though some people are unbelieving. Some people perhaps may give the impression that in life all is well. But they do not like to think about death. 
In fact, some coin little phrases to take the chill out of death, to take the edge out of thinking about that time when the soul leaves the body and goes out into the great eternity, into heaven if you're saved, into hell if you're not. And some have called it the cool enfolding death. But listen to me, friends. For a man or a woman or a young person to die without Christ, listen to me, there's nothing cool and enfolding about that deathbed. And I have been alongside many deathbeds. I have had families plead with me, would you speak to my loved one? Would you tell them they need to get saved? I've come alongside the bed as the hospital staff are pushing in in front of me and they're holding the hand of that person. They're checking for the pulse to see if the pulse is starting to slow down to indicate it'll not be long now. How many times I've heard that and I've seen the family distraught and they've said to me, Reverend Martin, please, would you speak to my loved one and would you tell them the need to be saved and I've drawn alongside the bed and I've looked into their face and I've literally seen Within them, the horrors of one who is about to die without God, without Christ, without salvation, without hope. And I've come along and just gave them a single text of scripture and hoped that that would be an anchor for their soul. That they could latch onto it, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's nothing cool. And enfolding about the death of a sinner who dies without Christ. Some people will say, well, it's the fine serenity of death. I drew alongside the deathbed of an individual. Albeit, I say the deathbed, he lived for a little while after that. But I could see the beginning of the end. I was shut into that ward on my own. I had no one near me, neither family nor anyone, not a doctor or a nurse. I had spoken to this man when he was in good sense and mind. As he lay on that bed, as I began to talk to him, I leaned over and I said these words, It's Thomas Martin, do you know who I am? And he began to get agitated in the bed. And I said to that man, you know, we've spoken about these things before. Now, can I ask you, are you saved? And he began to get agitated. And I am convinced he began to get very angry. And I drew alongside and I said, would you not think about it right now? It's the beginning of the end. You'll soon pass out into eternity. Would you not think about your soul? Would you not call upon the name of the Lord? I called him by his name. And as graciously as I could. I quoted the text. I led him in prayer. And I said would you not make it your own? And he writhed on that bed. And he shook on that bed. And I thought perhaps it's the medication. So I kept quiet. And he started to be calm and settled. I then spoke again after about five minutes praying. And he began to get agitated. Going out into eternity. 
And I thought to myself, there's nothing fine and serene in this room. I find a man to the very dying day rejecting the Lord, hating the gospel, not wanting to come to Christ even in his final hours. I cannot say for sure what way that man died, whether saved or unsaved, graced or ungraced. I cannot say for sure if he's in heaven, I hope he is, or he's lost in hell for all eternity. But those images, those pictures my mind have taken, I've never forgotten them. And most times they take sleep from me at night when I consider and again at a funeral service today, it highlights more than ever. As I looked across that vast congregation, I'm thinking to myself how many of those people are saved. And if it was their funeral service, where would their soul be? Shakespeare called death a necessary end. Oh, listen to me. How different for the believer. How different for the Christian. Paul says, for to die is gain. The ancient Christians who were persecuted for their faith. The ancient Christians who were done to death for believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Those individuals were chased underground into what is known as the catacombs. That is, they were living among the dead. And down there they were hiding for fear of persecution. And whenever one of their loved ones passed away, they held the funeral service and they began to sing sweetly and softly over the body of that loved one. Good night, beloved. Sleep. Take your rest. Lay down your head upon the Saviour's breast. Queen Victoria, on her deathbed, she called for the hymn. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. You know, a great life is a wonderful thing, but infinitely greater is to die with your faith and your trust in Christ alone for salvation. Now, let me ask you, because in meetings like this and in missions like this, believe me, there's coming a day when I will not be allowed to do this. There's coming a day when this kind of meeting and this kind of preaching will not be tolerated. In your face, it's called. Too personal, it's called. When you preach, you must look at the wall or you must look at the ceiling and you must never engage anyone in case you single them out, you embarrass them or you shame them. But I'm getting close to you tonight. I believe in eye contact when I preach. And I want to ask you a question. How will you meet your latter end? How are you going to die? How will you do in the swelling of Jordan? I'm asking you now. Are you right with God? Is it well with your soul? And if you were to die right now... Be honest with yourself. Examine now your heart and see whether ye be in the faith, whether you're truly saved, that your sins are forgiven you, that you have peace with God, that there's been a time in your life, even though you may not be able to get the exact date, but a time when you were born again, when you were converted, 
when you were saved. And if you say this to me tonight, I am not sure. Listen to me. You need to get that sorted. If you say to me, I don't really know. And if I was to die now, I couldn't really say. Listen to me. You need to get that matter sorted tonight. For you do not know the day of your death. Barzillai said, how long have I to live? Well, you know, some people will say there's no answer to that question. But I believe there is. How long have I to live? As far as your body is concerned, not long. But as far as your soul is concerned, forever. Either in God's heaven, saved by God's grace. Or in God's hell, lost forevermore. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that there is an afterlife. You know, to this day in the little town in Spain, uh, if you're Spanish speaking, forgive me for murdering the Spanish language here. But in a place called Valladolid in Spain, there stands a monument to this day. You can visit the place, although you don't have to go there, but it's a nice holiday for you. But you can Google it and you can get to the place. You can see the monument. And there it is. It stands in that town in commemoration of Christopher Columbus, who on behalf of Spain sailed out past Spanish national border and boundary in order to find civilization because the Spanish people for years had a motto. And it was this, ne plus ultra, no more beyond. They believed foolishly. They were the only inhabitants upon the earth. And they had their motto for centuries. Nay plus ultra. No more beyond. Until Christopher Columbus began to sail the seas. And he discovered civilizations beyond the boundaries of national Spain. They had to come back and they had to change their motto that they had for centuries. In order to commemorate that event, they raised a statue of a lion, male lion. And there it was. And they had those Latin words of their motto. And they had the lion's paw tearing away one of those Latin words, nay, no. Leaving the words plus ultra, more beyond. And listen to me. There's more beyond this life. There's more beyond because there is an afterlife. And the Bible makes it abundantly clear. It speaks of eternal life. We heard that in the reading. We heard last night it speaks of hell, eternal punishment and eternal sorrow. And there is more beyond when the body goes back into Mother Earth. The soul lives on and it either goes to heaven or it drops into hell. Which will it be tonight for you? And with this in mind, let me first of all and very briefly speak to those who were saved in this gathering. Because there's more beyond for the child of God. Because death, Paul says, is gain. And whenever you consider why is death gain for the child of God, I'll tell you why. Because of the person to whom it takes them. Death brings the child of God into the immediate presence of the Lord. If you want to know what happens to a believer at death, Paul tells us you're absent from the body and you're present with the Lord. 
You're not sleeping to some resurrection day. You're alive. You're not dead. It's only the physical life that has returned to Mother Earth. God said that as a punishment for sin in Adam. That dust thou art. Unto dust shalt thou return. God never created man like that or for that. That's why when Jesus came on that occasion to Lazarus and to the house in Bethany and they said he has been dead four days, Jesus wept. Do you know why he wept? Because he saw the end of sin. That's why he wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. Do you ever think why it said Jesus wept? I'll tell you why. He saw the end of sin. He created all things for his glory. And he never created man for the sepulcher. And he never created the human body for the dust of the ground again. And furthermore, could I tell you why Jesus wept? Preached on it a few Sunday nights ago in Lisburn. It's fresh in my mind. Mm -hmm. He was about to call someone back from glory. Lazarus was very much alive. They only had his decaying body and his stinking flesh in a sepulchre for four days. But he was in Abraham's bosom, in paradise. And Jesus wept because he had to call a man back from glory and happiness and all the blessings that Abraham's bosom and paradise would give to a sinner saved by grace. And when he called Lazarus, come forth, he called a man from glory back to his body, to the pain and misery and heartache of a man upon the earth. Jesus wept. Could go on, but I'm not. But all I'm saying this is, Here's the reason why death is gained for the believer because of the person to whom it takes him. Now we have what is called the abiding presence of Christ. He lives in my heart. He abides with me. But when I die, I pass into the immediate. I have the actual presence of Christ. I'm with Christ, which is very much far better. There was a Baptist pastor in this province of Ulster and he was going for ser serious surgery. In fact, he died just a few months afterwards, I think. And uh, he, was, he was going for that surgery. The nurse, because he was a humorous man and he was chatting away to them. And this nurse felt that he didn't understand what was about to happen to him. And he was talking and he was laughing and he was joking. And the nurse came alongside and said to him, calling him by his first name, Do you understand that when you go under the needle today, you may never come out of that surgery? Do you not realize that? Because he was so happy. And here's what he says. Well, would you do me a favor? And she says, what is it? Now, if I don't come out and I die on that table... Would you please do me a favor? Would you take a pen? This is what he said. Would you take a pen and would you write on that eyelid the word with? And would you write on the other eyelid the word Christ? So when they're wheeling me out, and the nurse was shocked. When they're wheeling me out and they look down on my body, they'll be able to say where I am with 
Christ. Amen. And he even said this. I'll tell you what. If you don't want to write those words, will you write these words? On this eyelid, write the word far. And on that eyelid, write the word better. For I'd be with Christ far better. Amen. What a testimony. Aye. What a testimony. The late Noel Grant. Many of you perhaps know him or knew of him. Grant and Borland, powerful preachers of the word. Books are still circulated. His gospel literature still is being used. And Noel Grant, I read a little booklet of his and that's how I came to Christ. I visited him in the Ulster Hospital, though I'd been to see him on a few occasions. But I visited him on his deathbed. As I walked into the Ulster Hospital, they had the, the, the bars up at the side in case he fell out of bed. I looked at his body. I haven't seen anyone as thin. The bones were poking through the skin. And he lay sunk literally into the pillow. Nearly disappeared inside that pillow. I drew alongside and my wife June was with me. And we leaned over that little bars or cage. And, and Noel began to push on his elbows himself up out of the bed. And I said these words to Noel. I says, Noel, it's not looking too good. And he started to smile. And as if he was rising to meet the Lord. Here's what he says. Ah, oh, dear Tom. Dear Tom. It's getting better. Amen. It's getting better. Oh, I felt so rebuked. Mm. There was me saying, it's not looking too good. Oh, dear Tom. You've got your theology wrong. That's what he was saying. Do you not know what it is for a believer to die? It's getting better, he said, and he pointed upward. We had a young man in our own congregation. Our folks here would have remembered him, Gary Dunlop. His brother Simon came to the Lord after the funeral service. And Gary Dunlop was 21 years of age. He suffered cystic fibrosis for years, so he didn't have a long life expectancy. He was at the hospital every week, and they were doing physio to get the flame up and so on and so on. But it was cancer. That they discovered in his thigh. They removed most of his thigh muscle. The doctor says, you know, Gary, you'll never walk again. Gary did walk. The doctor says, that cannot be. You've no muscle to move that leg. How can you be walking? And he did walk. But then they did some more tests. And they gathered the family into the city hospital. I remember going down, I think it was the day after or the afternoon after the morning. And they said to the family, there's no hope for Gary, you know. Uh, we did take the cancer from the thigh, but there are multiple shadows across his entire body. And we reckon it's so spread that there's nothing more we can do. They sat and they were distraught. I went into that little waiting room and his mother, Audrey, says to me, Thomas, would you go in and speak to our Gary? Would you do me a favour, please, for I can't do it. Would you ask him, is he afraid? I've never done this in my life. I walked into that hospital ward and just a single ward, I pulled a chair alongside and Gary was wasting away. But he had a beautiful smile and it was on his face. And I came in, I didn't really know how to approach it, but I just says, well, Gary, I've just been asked to come in to see you. You don't mind. Oh, no, I don't. I says, Gary, could I just ask you a question? Uh, could I ask you, are you afraid to die? It's all well with you. And the smile broadened. 
And he says, I'm not afraid to die. And all is well with me. And for nearly half an hour, Gary Dunlop and myself talked about the moment that he would pass into glory. And what it would be like for him. What heaven would be like. Who would be there. And best of all, he would see his saviour. What a comfort to his mum and dad and family circle. Do you know before he died, Gary Dunlop called most of the young people he was friendly with in our church down to the hospital ward. And he spoke to each one of them personally about their need of salvation. And for those that were saved, he said, live for Christ and serve him to the best of your ability. Now think of it. The hymn writer Fanny Crosby, she has given us something in the region. Uh, some people say 3,000, as others say 6,000. Some people go as far as 8,000 spiritual hymns or poems. Uh, we'll take the lower figure at least 3,000. Many of them in her own hymn book, by the way. But she was blinded by an illness six weeks after she was born. She became one of the most prolific hymn writers this modern world has ever known. And one time a sympathetic preacher said to Miss Crosby, you know, it's an awful pity that when the Lord showered you with so many gifts and talents, he didn't give you your sight. It's very a cruel thing to say. But without hesitation, she said, sir, if I had one request at birth, it would be this, that I should be born blind. He was shocked and said, I can understand why you would say such a thing. And she said, sir, because the first face that I will ever see will be the face of my saviour. She was asked one time in Massachusetts and Northfields at the Bible conference by D.L. Moody, who spotted her in the auditorium and said, we have Miss Crosby here. Would you stand up and give a personal word of testimony? Hesitantly, she got to her feet for she didn't like public speaking. And she said these words. She says, you know, when I'm discouraged, when I'm down, When I feel I'm troubled, I have a little poem. I've never allowed it to be put to music. I've never put it into the public domain. But he says, she says, when I'm discouraged, when I'm down, I quote it to myself. I want to share it with you here in this meeting. And she began to speak these words. Someday the silver cord will break. And I as now no more shall sing. But oh, the joy when I shall awake. In the palace of the king. She's blind. Mm. And I shall see him. She's blind. (laughs) And I shall see him face to face. And Mm. tell the story saved by grace. Mm. In her 95th year, Fanny Crosby passed away. Into the immediate presence of the Lord. And guess what? She has seen the king. In all of his beauty. She walks the golden streets of heaven. She is basking in God's own light. She has seen the wounds of Calvary and the marks of the cross upon the Saviour's body. He has said to Fanny Crosby, Behold, my hands and my feet. See, it is I. And what a joy it is to be with Christ. And for the believer, death is gain because of the person to whom it takes us. Could I say quickly, because of the place to which it brings us. It brings the believer to heaven. Oh, to be there. It's not something selfish. I'm convinced, child of God, if you get up any morning and you get out of your bed and you give a sigh and you go, (sighs) you know what that is? I believe in my heart it is a yearning to be free from the body of sin. 
It's a yearning and a desire created at new birth for heaven because you're sick, sore and tired of the wicked, sinful world in which we live. And you long to be free in that place called heaven. It's a real place. It exists. And I'm telling you now, it's a place of rest and eternal release. And listen, we can say when we're there, our trials are over. Our difficulties are over. Tell me this. Have you ever had a trouble-free week? Have you? I know some people in my own congregation and they've never had a pain-free day in years. And I mean that. They live constantly with pain. And no matter what painkiller, whether by tablet injection or patch, it does not take away the entire pain. They've never had a day without pain. Have you ever had a week without trouble? Have you ever had a month whereby you've only had happy feelings? Mm -hmm. If you had, you should be in the psychiatric unit. There's something wrong with you. Come on. There's more in this world to grieve us. And for the child of God, listen to me. I don't want to be in heaven for a selfish reason. I want to be in heaven because God through Christ and salvation, has created within me a desire and a yearning and a longing to be there. Oh, to be there. What must it be like to be there? And that's why Jesus wept. He had to call Lazarus back into his body and to pain and sorrow and misery very quickly because of the people to whom it unites us. I was thinking of Christina, she mentioned that she will see her grandmother again. She will see her loved ones again. Because of that day, Christ saved her soul and brought her as a child to him. And I'm saying to you, death is gain. Let me finish and I'll have to move on and I have other things to say, but I can't. But let me speak to those that are unconverted in closing. For any here, and we're not embarrassing you, we love you in the Lord. We desire that you might have what we have. That you might share in the same salvation that we have enjoyed and are still enjoying. That you might come to know Christ as your saviour as we have come to know him as ours. That your sins might be forgiven as ours are. That you might have peace with God as we do. That you might enjoy the blessings and the hope in life and in death and forevermore that we have. That you too might come to that experience of the new birth. That you might have that joy of sins forgiven. Having repented of those sins, forsaken those sins, confessed them to the Lord and received forgiveness through the finished work of the cross that you might be saved by God's matchless grace but what does death hold for you right now if you're not saved well let me tell you something if death is gain to the believer it is loss to the unbeliever the loss of all present joy and happiness alongside that death without Christ goes all hope of salvation All hope of further mercy. The door of opportunity is closed forever. And listen. The season of rescue. And the day of grace is finished. There is no hope beyond the grave. For a person who dies without Christ. Mm. And we have to say this. 
to our fellow countrymen who are Roman Catholics, who believe they can pray for their loved ones and go to the graves and pray over their dead bodies. There's nothing you can do for a soul that has departed without Christ, without God and without salvation. And should we as a people after you die without Christ, hold prayer meetings, fast and pray and seek the Lord's face and cry unto God night and day, we cannot do anything for your soul. That's right. Only in time can you be saved. At death, it's too late. When the body dies and the soul leaves that body and goes out into eternity, it's too late. Your destiny is settled. Your destiny is sealed. But I'm saying to you, it's only the man or woman or young person, boy or girl, that can say, for to me to live is Christ. That is, I know him as my saviour. I've received him into my heart and into my life. I'm resting in him alone. I'm trusting in him. It's not my church and Christ. It's not the sacraments and Christ. It's not my good works and Christ. It's Christ alone. His finished work for me. His substitutionary death instead of me. He took my place. He bore my sins punishment suffered its penalty and there on the cross he died for me he suffered for me he shed his blood for me he paid the price for my sin he settled and satisfied divine justice and in his life he fulfilled the righteousness of the law for me and in his death he satisfied every legal demand of that law that demands my punishment in hell he took my place he died for me he suffered what I should have suffered. He took upon himself the wrath of God that was my due. Christ died for, that is on the behalf of the ungodly. Christ died for sinners. And if you come tonight and repent of your sin and believe on him, you'll discover Christ died for you. But you've got to come. But it's only the one who can say for to me to live is Christ can say to die is gain. Some people will say for to me to live is money. Now listen, I'm not against somebody earning money, making money, getting money, long as it's legal and it's up front. I'm not opposed to that, by the way. I don't believe you should give away all your riches and become poor. Some people might say, well, I do. <laughs> give it to me. But all I'm saying, people today, isn't it true? You meet them and for to me to live is money. And I need to get money. There's people who have won the lottery. And others have won other things and they have won millions. And there's one person, I think they they won about two or three million pounds. And they said these words, ah, oh, two or three, I wish I'd have won more. Because someone before maybe got 12 million on the rollover. I don't do the lottery, I don't know much about it, but I just hear these things. But all I know is this, for to me to live is money. And when I get money, I want more money. And when I've got that money, I want to keep it. And then I want more to add to it. I want to be as safe and as secure materially as I can be. And for to me to live is money. Is money. For me to live is work. How true that is. Nothing wrong to have the work ethic. Nothing. We commend it. Praise the Lord for those who do an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. But if it's the exclusion of the soul... And the neglect of spiritual things. And work takes up your time. Then I'm saying to you. For to me to live is work. To die is loss. 
We were doing outreach around the doors. We knocked this door. The man came to the door. And there he was. He was a very sociable fella. No doubt you could see the work clothes. And it was late at night, about 9 o'clock. And he, sorry, sorry, about maybe 8 o'clock. And he said, yes. And we said, we're from Lisburn Free Presbyterian Church. And we're giving some invitations out to our church services. Ah, oh, no problem. Thank you very much. And before he got the door closed, we always like to do this. Before he got the door closed, because we may never see him again or speak to him again. We don't put our foot in the door, by the way. No, we don't do that. Or we don't, as some people might do, push yourself into the hall. No, we stand at the door and we say, oh, just before you go, one more second, can I ask you a question? Do you go to church? And then he just opened the door and he says, no, no, boys, I don't go to church at all. And then, of course, it was leading to the one thing we wanted to talk about. And he says, well, tell me this. Do you ever think about God? Do you ever think about your soul? And he became very concerned at the door. And he says, no, I don't. He says, well, do you ever think that there's a place called heaven? And how to get there? And a place called hell. And he says, boys, I don't think about it. In fact, I want you to come into my house a moment. So reluctantly, myself and the other man went in. And he says, look at that. And there on the couch was a seven-year-old boy. And he says, that's my seven-year-old child. See the way he is now sleeping? That's how I left him this morning, in his bed, sleeping. I kissed him good morning, and off I went to my work. And man, I'm telling you, all I do is work. And I've come in tonight, and there he is sleeping. And for the full seven years of my boy's life, I've hardly even time for him. And I lift him tonight, man. And I'll bring him up those stairs. He'll wake up a wee bit and he'll say hello, Daddy. And I'll put him back into his bed. And he says, all I do is work and I can't get out of that rut. And only you boys came to my house. I would never have time to go to church, to think about the things you're talking about. But thank the Lord we're able to witness to him. I don't know as yet if the man has ever come to know the Lord, but he did take time to listen. Amen. But I'm saying this to you, for to me to live is money, for to me to live is work, for to me to live is my family. That's okay. That's fine. Many people say that because they go away on the Sunday, never bring their children to Sunday school. That's right. Go away on Sunday, play golf, football, go to football and all these things down into the malls. Take their wife and family out for picnics on the Sunday. They go to church morning or evening. No time for any meetings at all on the Lord's Day. There's nothing wrong with spending time with your family. Absolutely nothing. I spend plenty of time. There's my wife. She'll testify to it. Even though I'm very busy, I always take time to spend with my family. Nothing wrong with that. But if you have no time for your soul, for to me to live is material possessions for to me to live is sport football rugby golf hockey that wouldn't be the sport for me anyway for to me to live is to have a good time i like to go out at the weekend i like as one woman said to me one time she says i couldn't get saved you know and she says because every night i go out to the bingo 
That's what she said. And I just couldn't get saved. And of course, she likes to socialize. She has her bottle of Buckfast wine there in the fridge and she sips. I just believe she's what is known as a top-up drinker and she keeps a little buzz on her. I went to another woman's house. I could smell the alcohol off her breath and she was very giddy. And when you meet her, that's the way she is. She's not, she thinks, an alcoholic because she's not getting drunk. What she does and what many people are doing, they're keeping just the buzz that's all they're taking enough to give them a high. That's what they're doing. And for to me to live is drink. For to me to live is to have a good time. Listen, you may live without Christ, but you cannot, listen to me, you cannot die without Christ. That's right. You can't. Voltaire, the French infidel, lived his life in sin and debauchery. He blasphemed God and cursed men. When he was dying, he took a stroke, you know. And for three months he lay dying. His friends had to vacate the room. Such were the oaths and cursings as he cursed God and his fellow man. There's only one person had to stay with him the whole time, and that was the nurse. And she said these words, Never again, for all the wealth of Europe, will I nurse an infidel. Such was the cursing. Such was the blasphemy. How will you die, my friend? Because there's more beyond for us all. Mm -hmm. I have to finish. A prospecting party searching for gold in the Klondike. There they were mining, taking the gold and all the stones out of the river, digging, searching. They came into the Klondike in springtime, into a little miner's hut. And there were the skeletons of three men. A pile of gold sitting on the table and a little note written. It explained where they found the gold, but it also told them what happened. In their search for the gold, they had forgotten about the winter that comes into the Klondike. They had stayed a little longer than the rest, just to get a little more gold and then go home. They woke up one morning and they were snowed in. They had no hope of getting out. Their food supply ran out and they starved to death. And most people who knew them said their folly lay not in their search for gold, but in not making preparation for the winter in the Klondike. And sinner, you're the same tonight as we close. Your folly may not be in pursuing different things, but in not making preparation for the winter of death. For death is coming. Death is coming. Now tell me, how will you die? Are you saved tonight? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour tonight? Is it well with your soul? If not, why not come tonight, friend? Make this night and carry off the night that you come to Christ. We're not telling you to come to the free church. The minister has told you that. We wouldn't cross the street to make you a free Presbyterian. But we would go to the ends of the earth if necessary to point a sinner to Christ, the only saviour for sinners. Mm. I'll finish by saying this. You don't have to be old to die. You don't have to be sick to die. But you have to be ready. And the only way is Christ. Mm. Receive him. Take him. Trust him. Believe on him. He will save you. 
And then it will be for to me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Let's bow and pray. Thank you for listening so intently. I deeply appreciate that. So the Lord will bless his word to your heart tonight. Father in heaven, own the word tonight, we pray. Work it in, Lord, by thy spirit, back at home. Burn it in, bless it. Grant, O God, that after man's voice is cold and silent, and that which is of the flesh falls to the ground and dies and withers away, may that which has been of thyself live on in every heart. Convict of sin tonight, Lord. Give the gifts of repentance unto life and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Save the lost, we beseech thee. And Father, part us in thy fear and favour. We ask these things in Jesus' precious and worthy name. Amen.